0: Your Bibles, Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. And before we jump in, a couple of quick announcements. One is in your bulletin on the tear off is a short survey, and uh, we did this last year, and uh, we want to do this each year. Our goal around this Sunday morning worship experience is that people who've been to church a long time and come every week find meaning. Our goal is people that are returning to church. And uh, people maybe who've never been to church can come into this space and can encounter God in a way that connects with them. And uh, so uh, with that in mind, and and just just what we're trying to do around here, your input helps us do that in more and more effective ways. So if you wouldn't mind filling that out, uh, if you want to just do it on your phone or when you get home, there's a link to where the survey is online, that'd be really, really helpful to us. So um, if you could do that. Second piece is... um, happy Mother's Day. Isn't a good day? Um, I also know the moment that a pastor says happy Mother's Day, for everybody that's not joy. And for some journey of infertility, for some maybe pain in a relationship, um, we also know that, that that can be, this can be a hard day. And so we want to say that we are praying for you and our hearts are with you whether you find it to be a great day or a day where, where it's sort of a struggle. So with all that said, can I pray? God, we have a tough text to look at this morning, Lord. So give us, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, feet that maybe, maybe can follow you, God. Because we think by your grace and by the power of the Spirit, anything is possible. So do that good work in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, this year-long series, this wayfinding thing, there are certain texts that we come to, and I don't get to choose how much of it I preach. We, we get a whole chapter, or sometimes two chapters. And uh, this is all of Matthew chapter 5, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, normally pastors would take Matthew 5 and spend a year on it. Uh, we last year did a little series on the first part of it, but This morning, we're going to do all of Matthew chapter 5 in one chunk. And I think that's actually good. Sometimes when we're tearing everything apart, we forget that Jesus preached this in one sitting. So the people in the crowd would have heard it all at the same time. And so I pray and hope that we'll hear something a little different. Last, Last week, we talked about a text in... Matthew chapter 3 where John says that the the message that he's preaching as he's preparing the way for Jesus is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says the very same thing. So that Jesus began, from that time it says that Jesus began preaching this message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark chapter 1 uses the language repent and believe. It's sort of this implied reality that when I'm repenting of something, I'm also not, not just turning away from something, I'm turning towards something else. So repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. The whole point of Matthew 5 through 7, I'm going to give it away right here. The point of this whole Sermon on the Mount text is this. It tells us the picture of here's what the kingdom looks like and here's why you need Jesus to live it out in simplicity here's what it looks like and here's why you need Jesus so it's all about this part of that statement repent for the kingdom of God is at hand we don't talk about kingdoms a lot in our day kingdom is simply this it's the rule or reign of a king it's a king who is ruling or reigning for us a kingdom is any place that someone or something is in charge let me say that again A kingdom is any place in your life, any place in our world where someone or something is in charge. It influences, it defines everything around it. So before we start reading this, let me me talk about a couple of different types of kingdoms that I think day in, day out, each person in this room encounters and possibly struggles with. Some of them are the kingdoms that are out there. The kingdoms that we encounter day in, day out, that are out there. It's the kingdom of money. For some, we often buy into this idea, if I can have more and more and more and more, then maybe I will at one time be happy. And we understand that it never happens. Maybe it's the kingdom of comfort. Maybe it's the kingdom of sex. Maybe it's the kingdom of power. We bind this idea, if I can rule over and dominate more and more people, then I will be more and more important, which will lead to satisfaction, and it never ends up there. The kingdoms that are out there, and we could go on and on. But then I think we have the kingdoms that are in here. We talked about this the first summer I was here. We did a series on Philippians, and we talked about the kingdom of Brad. And all of us have put your name in there, the kingdom of Bob, Sally, whatever your name is. And it's that place, it's that world where you want to be in charge, where you want to be king, and where everything that you're ruling and reigning over, you think that if they do things your way, if they act as you think they should act, at the end of the day, everybody will be happy. What happens? Chaos. For really honest, it doesn't end up the way that we think it's gonna end up. The kingdom of Brad, when I'm in charge, ruling how I think things should go, actually ends up in divided relationships. It ends up in hurt feelings. It ends up in a a lot of hard conversations. So we have the kingdoms that are out there and the kingdoms that are in us. So with that in mind, that this whole idea of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it wasn't just a first century message. It is for us today. And this Sermon on the Mount begins to explain what that type of kingdom life could actually be. So let me do this. Verses 1 through 16, we're not going to read. We're going to sit with the second part of the text. But verses 1 through 10 are those statements, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are the poor in spirit. blessed are the meek, the whole list. And often we read those and we think that's something that we should attain to or some, something that will one day happen. But the reality is, we, we did a series on this, every verb is in the indicative mood. In other words, it's a present reality when Jesus taught it in the first century. So there was an actual crowd that Jesus was preaching to. There were actual people sitting out there that Jesus is talking about. And what he says is, in this new reality, in the kingdom of God, many of you who feel like you've been on the outside, you've been rejected, you've been put off, in this kingdom, you will actually have a place. And then verses 11 through 16, it gets into some challenging conversation that in this kingdom of God, in this reality where God reigns, where Jesus is in charge, that there just might be suffering for those who choose to be a part of it. Not a normal message you hear on Sunday morning. Follow Jesus and maybe suffer. And in the suffering, you'll always find meaning. And then it talks about light and salt and all that. Amazing stuff. I encourage you to read it. But we're going to start in verse 17. It will be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, please open your Bibles. We encourage you to do that. But I want to sit mainly. We're going to read verses 17 through 20 and break them down a little bit. Because the least preached, the least talked about part of Matthew chapter 5 is the most important part of Matthew chapter 5. And it's these few verses here. So verse 17 says this. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law or the writings of the prophets. Isn't that interesting? This is Jesus talking, by the way. It's, it's, some of your Bibles, it's red letter, which means pretty important. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Some of your translations say, I came to fulfill the law. Theologian Scott McKnight who's a great thinker. He says this, Luke 24, we've talked about Luke 24 before, the Emmaus Road, Jesus is risen from the dead. He comes alongside this couple and walks with them to their house. They break bread, and as soon as they break bread, Jesus says to them, by the way, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're looking for. And everything in the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, was talking about me. And that's essentially what we have in this text too. That Jesus is the fulfillment of this law. And that the key to understand, listen to this, this is a big statement. The key to understanding the Bible, the key to understanding the Old Testament, is to understand that it all points to Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus Christ. That word at the end, accomplish or fulfill, it's this Greek word, plerao. And what it means is to complete. To actually bring something to fulfillment. So here it is. Israel's history, the whole of Israel's story, has come to completion, to fulfillment in the person Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that if we're going to keep reading through the rest of chapter 5. So verse 18 says this, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is is achieved. See, the, the purpose of the law is not just the law itself, it's how they understood the law. And the idea, verse, the verse before says that the purpose of the law is that it gives us Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is at the heart of everything that we will talk about here. Verse 19. So, this is where some of this gets really challenging. So if you ignore the least of the commandment, And teach others to do the same, you will be called least, the least in the kingdom of heaven. So if you ignore some of the old, this isn't all 600 plus laws, some of which they had made up. This is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. If you don't understand Jesus as the fulfillment of that, and if you ignore parts, you will be called least in the kingdom. This has some future consequences to it. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Scott McKnight said it this way. He said, this is essentially saying following Jesus means following Jesus. And if you're really following Jesus, there are eternal consequences to the life you're living. It's big stuff, isn't it? And then he closes out these, these verses with verse 20. But I warn you. figure if Jesus says, but I warn you, like, pay attention a little bit. Unless your righteousness, and righteousness is simply what it means to be right, to relate to God. How I am made to relate to how I go about relating to God. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. It sounds like something we're supposed to work for, right? And we're going to come back to that at the end. It wasn't about how much righteousness they had. It wasn't that they had to have more than the Pharisees. It was about the kind of righteousness, and that's what the rest of these verses are going to talk about. What is the kind of righteousness that you have that is bringing you into relationship with God? Remember, the point of this whole Sermon on the Mount is what the kingdom looks like and why we need Jesus if we're really going to be part of it. So he's going to go into these sayings, you have heard, and then he's going to give a sort of... New interpretation of the law. Not getting rid of the law. Remember verse 17. But he's going to give a, if you're really going to live in my kingdom now with God in charge, here's what life under the law in the kingdom looks like. Understanding that as we read this, one of the things that you're going to say to yourself, this is impossible. This is a way of life that there's not a person in this room who can fulfill this law and we will understand what that invites us into. Because it's not about saying that the law is wrong, it's about how they understood. And Jesus is saying in each case, he's giving them a fuller expression of what it looks like to be God's people, to live in God's kingdom. Okay, we could just be done there, right? We're going to read down through these challenging texts with all of that in mind. Verse 21 says this. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. So let's just say, who committed murder this week? Zero people. By the law, good. No one in the room actually killed somebody else. So by the law, we're good. Here's what Jesus says. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call somebody an idiot, King James uses that, the Greek word raka, which is the idea of basically calling someone stupid. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse somebody, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And the word for hell is this word, Gehenna. It was an actual trash hill that was slowly burning outside of town. And the implications are both, that's where you deserve to go both now and in eternity. That there's a life with God and there's a life apart from God. There's in God's kingdom and then there's outside of God's kingdom. This is good, this is heaven, and this is hell. Verse 23, he breaks it down a little more. So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to the person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So what if we right now just decided, if there's anybody in here that has some relational tension in your life, why don't you just go ahead and leave and get it right and we'll wait for you? <laughs> the uncomfortable, like, oh, oh. <laughs> Like, it'd be 90% of us, amen? If we're really honest about this. Like, this way of life is a big, big deal. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, Settle your differences quickly, otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to the officer, you'll be thrown in the prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You're going to find it really intriguing. This, all of this kingdom talk, life in God's kingdom, it's painting the picture of people who are living out healthy relationships. It's a very different way of life, kind of life. Verse 27. So if you thought that was uncomfortable, it's just, by the way, for the next about 10 minutes, it's just going to get more and more uncomfortable. So, oh, this is fun. You've heard the commandments say, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her or him in his heart. Now it's getting a little uncomfortable. So so you're saying it's not just about sleeping with somebody. It's about how I view, how I look, how I see the other. You see, in God's kingdom, nobody's an object. Nobody's meant to just be used. In God's kingdom, people are made in the image of God and have value. That's tough, right? Let's, Let's get really honest about what lust is all about. And then Jesus says this. So if your eye, even your good eye, some of the language here is so interesting, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. We're going to do an experiential during the last set of worship so you can just really deal with these sins. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And Jesus here is using sort of metaphorical, over-the-top language to enforce a point. The point is this matters greatly. How we see people, how we relate to people, how we value people in the kingdom of God changes everything. Verse 31. You've heard the lost say, a man could divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. In the first century, women were not valued on equal plane with men. And so they had written laws that basically said to the guys, when you're sick and tired of your wife, you barely have to make an excuse for a divorce. She would have the hardest time ever getting one, but you barely have to make an excuse for a divorce. And then here's what Jesus says. Okay, in my kingdom, I say That a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. Now men and women are valued on the same. Because in faithful law, a man and a woman, for unrepentant unfaithfulness, could walk down the line towards a divorce. Anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. This is one where, like, let's just be really honest, that's uncomfortable. Jesus talking about divorce and remarriage here is uncomfortable. And we we want Crossview to be a place of extreme grace. We're all broken, messed up people. But what does it look like to pursue this kind of life? Thirty-three. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows you make to the Lord, but I say do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, so Jerus- because Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black, or if you're bald, you can't grow them back. <laughs> Just say a simple, yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. In the first century, especially for religious leaders, oaths and vows were a really big deal And claiming in the name of the Lord to make this oath or make this vow. And Jesus simply says, in the kingdom, let's just be honest. Again, we could spend 20 minutes here. Like, when you say you're gonna be there at 7 p.m., be there at 7 p.m., Right? I mean, that's really practical, but in God's kingdom, when you say something, when you give your word, just be honest and fulfill it. That's easy for me to say because I get annoyed with people that are late. I'm not going to talk about my own issues around this. We all have them. It's different. It. And if you think about this one, too, it it values the other. If I'm true to my word, what am I saying as I look at the other person? I value you. I value who you are. I value your time. I value what you're doing. I value your commitments. Be honest. 38. You have heard the law that says punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you across the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And by the way, the imagery of that is usually a superior would slap an inferior with an open hand. And if you made them come back across with the other side of the hand, you were claiming to be their equal. So this is not some just lay down, lie down, take what's given to you. It actually has a different way of thinking about what life in the kingdom looks like. That there's not maybe slave masters and slaves. That this is redefining what life looks like. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Again, one mile was where you stopped if you were an inferior. To carry it two miles in the first century was to imply that you were equals. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. The Old Testament laws were about this idea of equal retribution. You do this, I will give you something equal, painful in return. And now Jesus is painting a different picture. Humanity is valued. Image of God is valued in this new kingdom of God. But how we go about it is interesting. How we show love. How we value the other. Then verse 43. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven for he gives gives his sunlight to both evil and good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. This is as hard as anything we've read. Because if I'm really honest in this room, if you're really honest, my guess, there's some people I just don't want to like. Right? Maybe some of them live next door to you. Maybe some are in your family. Like, love your enemies? Now it's uncomfortable, Jesus. Like, there's a reason you call somebody an enemy. You're saying... I. This whole, I'm not sure even about your kingdom. This is turning things on its head. And then he ends with this. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the idea there is that to be perfect is to love completely as God loves completely. Because if you think about that, if you're loving in the way that God revealed in Jesus Christ love, you're in the kingdom. You're living it out. You are the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. That's the invitation of the last verse. My mind starts with this question. Why the Sermon on the Mount? Why, why this sermon? And I think there's two reasons. They'll be up on the screen. I think one is this. It shows us the impossibility of fully living in the way of God, of living in the kingdom of God on our own. It'd be like me saying to a five-footer that has a six-inch vertical, go dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan. Doesn't happen, right? Right? It'd be like somebody coming up to me and say, you know what, tomorrow I want you to shoot a 63 on the golf course on 18 holes, not nine. (laughs) It'd be impossible. This shows us that this kind of life cannot be done on our own. And the second one relates to it is it gives us a picture of a life that matters. It helps us understand this life in the kingdom that as we follow Jesus, as we trust Jesus, as we obey the law of the kingdom, this life can be ours. Not just in some future reality. It's it's not Jesus dangling a little dollar bill or carrot there, pulling it away. It's like Jesus says, this can be yours. This was actual people at an actual time, a message and an invitation to people in the first century that is a message and an invitation to us. Now, this kind of life, can be all of ours. And that leads me to the second question. Sort of how does it work? How do we engage this? Because for me personally, again, just being honest, I read this. I read Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. Part of me, oh, I want it. I desire it. It's countercultural. It's, it's when relationships are good and right. It, it feels really nice. then there's another part of me that is just, oh, it sounds horrible. Like, I'm not in charge. Sounds like a lot of work, right? A lot of work. And that's the tension that exists in me. And I think that brings us back to the message of John and the message of Jesus, which is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, in the first century, that was the same invitation. The kingdoms that are out there that you buy into, whether it's Rome, it could be legalism, it could be the kingdom of the law. If I can obey the law just good enough, then God will be pleased with me. And you never get there. The kingdoms that we interact with today You know, in the first century, it was the kingdom of the zealots. Take the sword, fight, bring in God's way. We can tend to do the same thing. The kingdom of power, the kingdom of success, the kingdom of control, the kingdom of desires. Just do what you want. Jesus invites a very different way of life that matters greatly. This law, this kingdom, if we're honest, when we read it, it's impossible to do on our own. It reminds me of my sinfulness, it reminds me of my brokenness that's in me and that's in all of us and that is out there around me. It reminds me of my self-righteousness, it reminds me of my shame. Reminds me that I am in need of something else. I I said it last week. I think one of the best defenses, defenses is the wrong word, one of the best ways to share the gospel is just to point to that deep need that's in all of us. Because when I try to do it on my own, even if I'm successful a little bit in whatever, however you want to define life, I never quite get there. I'm never quite happy in my kingdom. I'm never quite as successful as I want. I'm never quite fulfilled. And I would argue that when you repent of whatever kingdom, whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever self-righteousness that you tend to buy into and you put your full trust in Jesus Christ and you begin by His power to live in this type of kingdom, you will find joy and meaning It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your employees. It'll change everything. Trust Jesus for forgiveness, for strength, for leadership. Because I think, I believe the kind of life in Matthew 5 through 7 that changes it, it changes your heart. It changes your marriage. Students, I believe it would change your school. If you guys really trusted Jesus, whether you're a fifth grader or a 10th grader, and you decided to live this kind of life at school, not the kingdom of popularity, not the kingdom of being on whatever sports team, but this life, that would change your school. I think it changes neighborhoods, I think it would change our city. But it begins by really repenting and turning towards Jesus Christ by grace, by trusting. Can you imagine that? You know, people that stop lusting, stop having affairs and begin to see the intrinsic value and beauty in the other person. We stop fighting and picking at each other and tearing people down. And we start doing what Paul said. Speak only what builds up. That's king that's Paul talking about kingdom life in Ephesians. This so last week I had the opportunity to go to California and some of the pastors of some of the larger churches in our, our denomination got together. And it was a time of just talking about church, talking about what we're doing, learning from each other. And, um, this one pastor named Alex from Colorado, and every time he spoke, I listened a little more acutely because he's from Colorado, he's closer to God, the whole deal. Uh, but he's talking about their men's ministry, which, which was really cool. And I, We're going to steal some really cool cool things that they're doing and their women's ministry is doing very similar stuff. But he um, talked about their men's ministry, and one of the things that happens in their men's ministry throughout the whole year is... Every man that wants to and that signs up for it gets a daily devotional sent to him. And the devotional has two simple pieces. One is a passage of scripture. So hundreds and hundreds of men all reading the same passage of scripture every day. And then the second piece is a prayer. And he said the prayer, a little different each day, but at the heart of it is is language that says this. God today, help me to get off the throne and allow you to be on the throne. So I want to give you two takeaways today that I believe if you do them, just do them every day this week. One is start every day this week with that prayer. God, I'm getting off the throne today. And I invite you to be on the throne. Period. The second piece is I invite you as individuals, you as families, to say the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe they are the words that invite us into this kind of life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start your day with those two things this week. Invite God to truly begin by his grace, not your power, by his grace to form this way of life in you. Father, God, I... This is the kind of life that I know you want for us. You came and you died and you rose again, so this kind of life would be possible. So, God, for each one in here, Father, I pray that we would confess and repent of all the different kingdoms out there and in us that we turn to. Lord, we ask your forgiveness we receive your forgiveness, the assurance of pardon. And God, out of that, we want to trust that you, when you're on the throne of our lives, when you're, on the, when you're leading us as a community, that this is the type of thing that you're doing, God. So God, by your grace, give us the strength to do this kind of work. Pray this in your name. For pray this in the words that you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.